Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 90. I am your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we are excited to have with us the acclaimed and award-winning paranormal romance author, Melissa Sercha. Melissa! Hi! How, how you doing? I'm really good. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. I tell you, it's, and I gotta say too, is like, yeah, I, I, I enjoy. We're just talking before we went on the air that you know just how, how fun it is to make sure like sounds and microphones are working well. So I had to just to check to be sure that was on the right mic. And and I gotta say, man, you got you, you great setup. I gotta say too, it's uh, you like a radio station level sound that we have coming from the great state of California right now. That's right. Yes. <laughs> I aim to be the utmost professional. <laughs> <laughs> and so I got to say, cause you're right. I, you know, you're looking at it before, like you, you've been put, you've been coming out with book after book after book. And you actually now you just had one come out last May, last month. Yeah. You had one. You had you had one come out that was based off of your beautiful dark beasts. No, I'm sorry. No, your. Uh, no, you. Yeah, you're right. Just, you're right. I did. Okay, yeah, good. I yes. Had, no well, I had two books. April. I had two yes. books come out in May. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> and you're coming out later this month. You're you're coming out one of your one of your other immortal billionaire series. Book three of your yeah. immortal billionaire series is coming out. Exactly. After after I run. Yes. Yes. Wow. I know. Yeah. In May I had, well, cause I'm with city L press. Um, I'm a, you know, author with them. And then I also do my, my self-published books. So in May, it just happened to coincide where I was having a book come out with them, which is a, a sequel to smoke and ritual. And that's the beautiful dark bee series. And so that came out and then literally like two, three weeks later, my second book for Immortal Billionaires came out too. So I was just like launching promo releases left and right. I didn't get much sleep. <laughs> and your for, your first Immortal Billionaire series uh, uh, that is came out last October. Yeah. And you're going to have, you're scheduled to have Immortal Billionaires for the fourth book coming out this October. Yeah. So you're yeah. coming out with four <laughs> books of the same series. Well, I'm also, um, I haven't like announced it yet or done the pre-order yet, but there will be book five. I'm trying to get out by the end of December. So. Oh my goodness. All I right. know. <laughs> Is it, are we still going to the same theme after I something, right? Mm -hmm. that, yes, yeah. exactly. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It'll be after I obey. After you. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> That's awesome. So, and, and what's the uh, what is it? Is it because you already have you already wrote out what who the like the main you know supernatural creature in and after I run as a werewolf and then after I after I and then after I burn as a is a demon is this yeah yeah he's a siphon so he can literally um just he'll he'll take someone you know and put his hands on their head and he can siphon whatever powers they have so he's extremely dangerous and he's kind of. So hope I can say that on live. Uh, <laughs> sorry, YouTube. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, that's how he gets his um, his powers. Is if if it's a vampire, he will siphon them for a little bit and have those vampire abilities. And they don't last forever; they're not permanent. So he's constantly having to siphon. 
Um, so that is, he's the villain essentially in the first three books. And so book four, after I burn is, is his story. <clears throat> Cause there, you know, there's always two sides to every story. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> cause so I guess my question, so let's, before we kind of like jump in, cause I got so many questions yeah. to ask you about these, th these three book series. I'm, I'm, you know, excited to talk to you about this. Yeah. Do you want, just kind of give our audience uh, kind of a big, bad, quick background on how you got into <clears throat> writing paranormal romance novels? Yeah, I, well, I started writing urban fantasy okay. and um, I had this idea for Blood and Magic, which is the first book I ever wrote, my debut book. And I was... Uh, as I was telling before, you know, I, I was in this corporate job that I hated and I've always been a writer my whole life and, mm. you know, poetry and songs and short stories, but just never really took it seriously as a career. And then all of a sudden I have this job I hate and it starts coming to me like, oh God, I really want to write. So um, yeah, this book came to me one night. I was just thinking like, you know, the what if questions like, oh, what if this world was real? And we just didn't know it because it was you know, not, we weren't privy to it, or we just, you know, now that we're grown up, we don't believe in magic anymore and all that stuff. So right. um, I just started doing research and it took me about five years to write the first book um, and to really like put it together and research it almost five years. And then I was like, okay, what am I going to do with it now? <laughs> so I, I didn't know anything about it, the industry or publishing. And so at first I, I kind of like queried agents and, you know, got a bunch of rejections. It wasn't the the right, you know, fit for them, you know, a bunch of form letters, essentially. <laughs> and I'm like, great, what am I going to do? And I went on Twitter, and I found this like great writing community on Twitter, and learned so much, um, just about everything. And um, I discovered small presses, which were, um, you know, uh, used to be considered like vanity presses, but now they're, they're really um, legit, and really helpful. And they're that like middle, middleman that can help you get published for the first time if you have mm. um, a story that they're interested in. So I went that route and um, published my first book in 2018. And that was my goal. I was like, I want to be published before I'm 40. <laughs> that was like my dream. And so it happened. Um, and then what was really cool is they offered me a contract for three books. They said, hey, do you have more stories in this universe? And I thought, yeah, I do actually. So uh, I signed a contract for the whole trilogy and it's just been kind of a whirlwind ever since. And I've learned so much. And then the the second series, Beautiful Dark Beast, is actually a spinoff of that one. So it's like set in the same world. Okay. Yeah. And that is through and, and that is through your um uh your what you what, what did you say it was through um, the publisher? Owl? Yeah. The, yeah, City Owl Press. Yeah. City Owl Press. Okay. Yeah. So, and I noticed too, is like, cause so your, 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 your first series that you had on there that follows the character gray, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the second series follows a character named Ari, Ara Frost. Ar Aria Frost. Yeah. Aria Frost. Okay. Yeah. And so how, what, where's the link in that sense where is it, is uh, blood and darkness and the beautiful dark beast series. Is that, is Beautiful Dark Beast in a way a sequel to Blood and Darkness or is it like a kind of like a parallel story in a way, but it takes place in a, a different part of it? Yeah, it's actually, it's just set in the same world. So okay. it takes, so the, the, the last book in Blood and Darkness is called Gods and Demons. And there's a pretty big war that happens between Grey and Cerberus, who is, you know, the, the demon from the underworld, essentially like the devil. And the the results of what happened in Gods and Demons set up the the spinoff. So it takes place ten years later, 
And I do have cameos from some of the the characters from the first book, like some of the the favorites that that people told me they really liked. So um, that's been really fun to do as well. But yeah, so it's there's some returning favorites, but the the heroine is a new you know character, and she wasn't in the the previous series at all. But um, so it's essentially it's the same world and the same rules apply and the same magic. Um, and there's references made to both, but. Um, completely separate story. You could mm. read them interchangeably. Yeah. So how would so I, now I'm really so how did you create? So when you're thinking about, it, as you said, you're in a job you didn't like, yeah. and <laughs> did you start off with having a world in mind, and then you you kind of made characters to fit in that world, or did you have a character, a story, a character in mind, and you wanted to tell a story about that character? Yeah, for me it was the character. I, okay. I came up with Gray. And um, she just came to me out of nowhere and I just started exploring and researching. And then the plot is actually loosely, very loosely based on the historical event of the Pendle witch trials in um, Lancashire, England. And I, when I was reading this story about these witches, um, they were all tried except for two were let go. And I like spinning things on their heads. So I thought, what if these two were let go because they weren't witches but they were something even darker and you know they were afraid of them or something so that's kind of how the basis of blood and magic started and then it kind of spiraled you know from there <laughs> so when you create so once you kind of had that set up it sounds you yeah. know it's you had the either the you want to say the luxury or the challenge of creating the world itself, almost like that parallel world. Uh, but unlike a high fantasy world where you had to invent geography, you right. did have to invent magic, which is, mm -hmm. which is hard. So did you kind of go with like a soft magic where things are more fluid or was it hard magic where there's very specific rules that um, were strict mm. that had to be followed? That's a really good question. I think it's kind of a combination of both. Um, I really, really obsessed with Greek mythology. So I took a lot of ideas from the mythology of, of things, you know, like I have this narcissist magic where she has to go to the underworld to get, you know, a pomegranate to, you know, access it. And that was, you know, part of uh, a mythological story. And, you know, like the wolves, the, the werewolves are based on a um, Greek goddess named uh, Leto. And just, you know, I wanted to kind of, that was where I was getting a lot of my ideas from. And when you get into gods and demons, I have um, the furies and the fates and, you know, just kind of putting my own take on it. And essentially, like, vampires have been done so many times, right? Like, we we have so many different comparisons. You have, like, the really dark horror gothic of, like, you know, Nosferatu and Anne Rice. And then you've got, like, Twilight. And, you know people were kind of sick of the same tropes. So I wanted to create something totally different. And in my books, you know, they don't come from bats or, um, you know, uh, they're not afraid of the sun, that none of that can hurt them, silver crosses. They literally come from Diana and Apollo, who were, you know, kind of, well, depending on which story you read, some say they were lovers, some say they were twins. Um, but that's sort of like where I based it on. Yeah. So, but yeah, with it as you kind of had to re, and that was that's the one fun thing about when you're reading a vampire novel or a werewolf novel or something like that, you look at the reinvent the, the you know the reinvention of some of those tropes. 
So mm -hmm. what were some of the things that you wanted to kind of still keep sacred to say, well, it is a vampire because of this, or well, it is right. a werewolf because of this? Well, I want, you know, obviously they have to drink blood <laughs> to be a vampire. Um, however, I created this thing called blood magic, where if they linked with a vampire linked with a witch with this blood magic spell, then they not only would they become more powerful and a, adapt each other's or acquire each other's powers, they would also um, no longer need to feed. Um, the feeding would go away. So um, yeah, the blood sucking was a big deal. Um, immortality, obviously, like having them live forever um, was one thing I wanted to keep. Um, but that's kind of about it, to be honest. I really did my own thing. Um, they're not like pale or sparkly or um, you know, you can't stab them in the heart with a stake. Um, I did actually, I will say I was influenced a little bit by the Vampire Diaries. It's one of my favorite shows. And so I did use the aspect of you had to like pull the heart out of their chest um, in order to kill one. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and what about the, what about the werewolves? Are they like, like half wolf, half, are they how, and what's the, you said the, the, the mythology, the origins of them are also connected to the, as you said, to the Greeks as well. Yeah, the, the interesting thing about the werewolves, um, you know, similar to a lot of the tropes as far as like how they um, can transform, uh, they don't need the full moon to do it. They can transform at will. Um, but I did want to set up something. To, I created something called a witch charmer or a wolf charmer, which is a witch that can um, put a wolf under her control and then she can control their whole pack. And so I explore this a lot in Blood and Magic and in that trilogy. And so Lycos, who is the main alpha um, in his um, in his in the Lupi, basically meets uh, Valentina, who's Gray's best friend. And for some reason, which you'll find out, there's this whole like prophecy where she is like the only one that can free him from this, you know, wolf spell that he's been under by um, a character named Arcadia. So I do explore uh, a lot of that mythology too. And I use a lot of Latin symbology and Latin words to describe my spells. And yeah, I just had a lot of influences from the past, I guess, to kind of set it all up. Is there, so as you kind of create the rules of your, of your urban fantasy in your, you know, the paranormal universe here, what aspects that you felt like as a, as you said, as a, as a writer with maybe some of the tropes, like you said, like that, I'm not going to do that. Like not with the stakes and all that. Is there any type of, is there any specifics like supernatural aspects that you're like, I'm not, I'm not bringing that in. It just doesn't fit. Um, yeah. I mean like the whole, the thing where they like can't go out in daylight. I've never really understood that. I don't feel like, even though it's such a classic trope that we all know, I don't feel like anyone's ever really explained that, <laughs> you know, I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me. So I've just never, even in my self-published Immortal Billionaire series, uh, I have a vampire or two and they go out in the daylight just fine. And I've seen other shows where they have like a daylight ring or, you know, a witch gives them some sort of spell. And I'm just like, well, why wouldn't they be able to go out in the daylight? It doesn't like... I don't know. It's it's kind of outdated and old fashioned, you know, the whole creatures of the night thing, which is cool. But I just didn't want to do that. And so that's why I had the vampires stem from Apollo, who is the sun god. So I'm, I explained it that way in the book. I said they can't, you know, the sun doesn't hurt them because they were created by a sun god. So 
<laughs> and do you see, and is there like other supernatural creatures exist? I mean, you, we did we talk about there's, you know, the, the your incubus and you have, <laughs> you have demons and stuff in there. What about like any of the other classic monster things like, um, you know, you said you mentioned witches, mm -hmm. witches are in there, uh, yeah. like mummies and, you know, like, uh, yeah, no, those are all, I wanted to stay away from mummies and like zombies right. because I feel like that is a totally different, uh, like genre in, in itself, you know, like the classic, I'm a huge, huge zombie nerd. Um, George Romero is like my favorite person on the planet. Um, but I wanted to keep it more, you know, witches, vampires. I do go into harpies. I, I love the concept of harpies. So they feature prominently in books um, two and three. And then in my uh, Beautiful Dark Beast series, I created my own supernatural character called a grave digger and um it's essentially a soulless you know kind of like a zombie in a sense um you know with two black holes for eyes and wh whoever the witch is that controls it you know he has to he or she has to uh, obey and basically it's like a soldier for a witch you know to like torture and you know, terrify people. <laughs> That's awesome. So kind of yeah. like a, like a, like a, like a flesh golem or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. yeah definitely. <laughs> what, what about fairies? Do you have fairies in your world? Not outright. Um, oh. God, I love the fae and I love fairies and I actually really want to do a fairy series at some point, but um, I felt like it was too much. Um, I will say that in um, Smoke and Ritual, I base a lot of the witch covens on fairy lore. Like I have a group of witches called, you know, the Nixies. Um, so I definitely took inspiration from fairies to create like my witch covens. That's awesome. So as you said, so your, your blood and darkness and your beautiful dark beast series are connected. They're in the same universe. Yeah. Your immortal billionaires. Is that the same universe? It is not. No. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Completely different. Um, it reads more. Um, well, basically the, the difference is, is, it's paranormal romance where the plot focuses on the romance itself and the magic and the supernatural aspects are the subplots. Whereas in my other two books, the, the plots, the main focus is the quest, the magic and the, the romance kind of is the subplot. So if you can take the romance out and not have the story altered, then it's technically urban fantasy. Um, so yeah, with immortal billionaires, it kind of reads more contemporary, um, I mean, technically, I could make them regular people and not even supernatural creatures, and it would still be, you know, like a complete story in a sense, with just altering a few things. But I really wanted to explore um, the supernatural stuff in a modern setting without any fictitious worlds or any, like, obvious magic. Just like, hey, I got this job at a restaurant, and the owner of the restaurant is a vampire, and he is obsessed with me. You know, like that kind of a... <laughs> storyline <laughs> did you did you ever uh but, but does it also follow though kind of like your same world building rules when it comes to magic and stuff it's the same mythos or did you create like the vampire in immortal billionaires book one is it the same rules as the vampires in your other series Yes, um, it is. He can walk in the daylight without any, you know, assistance from, you know, anything. And um, you have to pull out their heart, 
you know, to, to kill him. The only difference with this series is for some reason, um, which I haven't explained yet. So that's what I'm saying for some reason. I don't want to give too much away. Um, vampires are actually sensitive to silver instead of werewolves being, you know, that's the trope that we, we hear a lot, you know, the silver with the werewolves. But I decided to spin it on his head and, uh, and do it for the vampires. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. And 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 so the and so yeah, you know, with that in there, is there any like yeah, you know, like some of your avid readers? Did you put in any little Easter eggs or something like that that people might read in your Immortal Billionaire series that will make reference to your to your other series? <laughs> you know, a part of me wanted to, but contractually i can't <laughs> oh, okay. so that's the only like the main reason <laughs> i don't okay. want to like have any sort of um ties to it because it, it's not that world that i've created with blood and darkness is you know tied with city l press and then this series right. is my own thing so um but you will get plenty of easter eggs between the two series of blood and darkness and beautiful okay. dark beast there's a lot of really cool stuff that i added um, that if you read the the first series, um, which I'll get emails from people that are like, oh, my God, I can't believe you brought him back or, um, you know, oh, I remember this. And so, you know, that's been really fun. But, yeah, Immortal Billionaires is its own complete, like, standalone okay. series away from all that. <laughs> so for contractually speaking, you can't do it. Can you do it the other way around? Could you add some little Easter eggs about Immortal Billionaires and, like, you know, issue with the you know, maybe like in your, your beautiful dark beast. Not so, really. No, now no, it just doesn't really work. I mean, they're okay. very, very different. Um, okay. The writing style is different. The mood, the tone. Um, yeah. They're just, I mean, basically, you know, it's a book that I wrote because I have a very distinct style, the way that I write, but um, it's, yeah, it's so very set apart that um, there would be, it would just be kind of weird. I think for me to like try to, merge them in some way <laughs> so so we have like other authors that will listen to this podcast and listen. Yeah. And so um some of them are you know new and wanting to know hey how do i you know how do you get into doing this and you kind of mentioned it earlier of you know finding a finding um you know one of those small press publishers but yeah. i guess that the question that would be what one question to ask is you were very successful in creating these urban fantasy books. Were you, when you decided to write Immortal Billionaires, uh, book one last year, when you published yeah. that last year, self-published that, was that, a was that a decision based off of, I don't want to be known as the urban fantasy person, or did you just have a good story and you're like, I want to just write this story. This yeah. is going to be a fun genre I just want to write. So was it based off of a an idea of, of, you as a writer, you wanted to tell that story or was this based off of a, um, a career decision to not be specified into a certain genre author? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I think it was more, I just, I have a million plot ideas that go through my head, like <laughs> too much. Like I have lists and lists and lists. And, you know, I was essentially, I was waiting on edits for, for one of my books with City Owl and I had this downtime and I started reading a lot of romance, specifically paranormal and billionaire romance when during the pandemic, as we all had a ton of time on our hands. And I started reading it and really, really getting into it. And 
then of course, you know, the plot bunnies come running into my head and I started to get this idea um, for after I fall. And the other thing I really wanted to do with a book, you know, I've been in the hospitality industry for 20 plus years and I really wanted to do a book that kind of centered around the restaurant industry in a sense and, um, and include like my knowledge of like wine and food into um, a character story. And then I also started watching a ton of stuff on Netflix. Um, again, so much time on our hands. <laughs> and um, I would say, and it sounds like a really weird comparison, but there was a show on stars called Sweet Bitter. It was based on a, a book and it's about like kind of the grittier, more authentic side of the hospitality industry. And so I took that and then I watched a movie called 365, uh, 365 Days with uh, Michele Marone, which was a very dark graphic um very sexual you know film um that a lot of uh women watched and it rose to like number one in netflix and those two concepts were like so cool to me and i thought well how can i merge them and everyone needs to be a vampire like that's that's my thing i watch a show and i'm like well this is a great show but it'd be better if they were all vampires And so, and I, I got to ask you too, just from the advice perspective, just you know, doing doing the page count on these things. You're none of these are under 150 pages. You got, you know, you know, the first one was 184, the second one was 168. Around the same time, you also were producing 200 plus page books for your your urban fantasy series. Yeah. Now, where? So when somebody says, "Listen, you know what, Melissa, this is great. I got to." I got a job, like how, I got a job to do. How do you, what would be your advice for someone to say, if you're serious about this, what would be your advice to say, if you want to write, what would you, what would you suggest to, for that? Yeah, well, it's definitely, it's, it's hard, you know, when you work full time to write um, and to, if you, especially if you have a family, if you have kids, uh, I don't have any kids, um, but I know a lot of my friends do and they struggle, you know, with finding that time to write. And I will say, you know, the pandemic being at home definitely gave me a lot more space, you know, and freedom to write faster, to write more quality books. But before that, um, you know, I just had to use every ounce of time I had, you know, instead of watching television or, or playing on social media for hours at a time, I would just write. Um, I would write till four o'clock in the morning and get like five hours of sleep and, you know, um, you just have to on my days I'd work, you know, full time, five days a week and I'd get home at 10 o'clock. I was a night shift person. So I would get home at 10 o'clock and, you know, pour a glass of wine and sit down at my computer and start writing. And then on my days off, I literally, that's all I did was I'd write for eight hours a day on both days off. And, you know, I didn't have much of life. So it is a sacrifice. You know, if, if you want, if you want to write just because you love writing, then do it whenever you feel like it. But if you're doing it because you want to be published and you want a career, you have to treat it like a business right. and um, and you have to set your own deadlines and your own goals. And um, it can be challenging, but if you really want it, if you really want to do it, then, you know, you'll have to make it work. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing is, and finishing a novel, like don't start something and then pick up something else and start that. And then you have like 10 unfinished novels in your drawer. You know, you have to just commit to like the project you're working on. And even if it doesn't come out great, you know, at least you were like, I finished it. And it's, it's a book that I wrote. So, I mean, that's my biggest thing. It's really hard to juggle. And right. there are weeks that are harder than others where I'm like pulling out my hair and I'm like, I just need, 
you know, an hour of where I don't have to do marketing or branding or anything like that. So, you know, but you just, if you really, I really believe that if you really want it and I speak from, you know, someone who started this career at 35, like you don't have to be, um, you know, young or old, you can be any age, you know, to, to start it. You just have to do it. And, uh, and I think one of your friends, Kendrick also mentioned, and she co-hosts a podcast. So you do wear <laughs> yeah. many hats. <laughs> yes. I threw that into the mix as well this year, <laughs> last year. Yeah. Um, and that's been really, really fun. Cause I'm learning so much about like how comic book creators create. It's a completely different process, you know? So it's been fun to like pick their brains about world building and character development. And I've, you know, learned a couple things um, from them. And um, it's just fun. It's it's great to like talk to people, um, especially when we were all so closed off, you know, from the world for so long. So the podcast became like my outlet of just like social hour, I get to chat with cool people. And occasionally I get to interview someone who I really admire and have been fangirling over forever. And that's always exciting, too. <laughs> And so what would, what would you, what would also advice would you say from like that you learned from when you came out with, you know, you know, your first book in blood and darkness series back in 2018 to now publishing, uh, you know, as we say, but in this October you're coming out with, you know, immortal billionaires book four, yeah. what are the things that you're doing differently now, three years later than you did that, that you wished you knew back in 2018? Wow. Yeah, that's, it's always so, yeah, it's always changing, you know, the process, I guess, I probably have learned to not stress out so much about the first draft. It would take me forever to write a first draft, because I would just sit there and try to like, edit myself as I was going, which doesn't work because you'll just never finish. Um, so that's the biggest thing is like, just write it. It doesn't matter. No one's going to see it. You're the only one that's going to see it. And I, I've heard a lot of people say it, but until you're actually like in the middle of it is when you believe it, you know, because <laughs> when you're like, wow, it took me a year to write an 80,000 word novel. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's your pace. But I wanted to be quicker. I wanted to um, be faster at it. And the reason what was slowing me down was my own hangups and my own like fears and insecurities about writing. And so I just said, you know what, I just need to write the first draft and get it over with. And then I can go back and edit. And I'm one of those weirdos that likes editing. <laughs> I like actually picking the book apart and like expanding <laughs> on scenes and stuff like that. It's like fun for me. So, <laughs> so I'm like, now I just write the first draft. Um, and then, you know, really, really studying your craft is so important. I still like, I take so many courses and workshops and craft books and it's fun. I'm like addicted to them. I think they're awesome. And <laughs> there's so many good ones out there. And it's just important to, you know, and to write. Um, I will say this, though, depending on like how your schedule is, um, it, it doesn't mean you don't have to write every day. You just have to make the most of the days that you do write. Well, that's a good piece of advice, too. And what's one of the works and some give us an example, of one of the workshops that you that you attended, like a writing workshop or something where you heard something and you said, whoa, that is great advice. I'm putting it on a post-it note and I'm sticking it on my screen. <laughs> Do you have any of those that you wanted any of those snippets of wisdom you wanted to give as well? Yeah, I just took one uh, a couple of days ago by Alessandra Torre and she runs AnchorsCon, and it was just like a little short one hour, um, and it's more about publishing rather than the craft, but she just talked about like finding your niche and sticking to it, and gave some great tips on 
how to like sustain your career as an indie author. So that was really great. And then um, one of my favorite craft books is um, Story Genius by Lisa Cron. And it just delves into like the psychology of characters. And, you know, a lot of times when you look, you know, up character uh, development, you get these really kind of cheesy, generic character sheets. It's like favorite color and favorite food. And it's like, that's not really what we're going for. You know, you want to delve into like their traumas and their history and what motivates them. So this book, I highly, highly recommend. I read it in like two days and I reread it every time I start a new book because she has some amazing, amazing advice and um, techniques to really developing your characters. Wow. Okay, great. Um, and uh, when you're talking, I guess uh, one of your fans, uh, Jay Horses, editing is always fun. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, he loves editing, right, John? <laughs> His favorite thing. He's talking about editing podcast episodes, by the way. <laughs> Not stories. I'm sure he he edits his comics too, but that's what he's referring to. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> So, so chat with us then, Melissa, about your, so you have After I Run is coming out in, uh, is coming out in a two, three weeks. Three weeks. Yeah. July 27th. You have it listed on July 27th. Yeah. Do you want to chat with us a bit about what people can expect from that? I think it's on, I think you have it on here someplace, right? I think. Yeah. It's under, I think, I, you know what? I don't know if I've added it on my website yet. Okay. Oh, it might be. It might be on there, actually. Yeah, I think the it's fourth on one is on there. So the third one should be on there, too. I have so many links that I can't remember. Oh, there it is. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, after I run right here. This is the one with the werewolf. <laughs> yes, yes, Cassius. And yeah. um, so essentially, without giving too much away, in uh, the beginning of After I Fall, the first book, there Cassius makes an appearance. He's Ozzy's good friend. They're part of this group um, of guys are immortals. They're called the Sons of the Fallen. So it's Ozzy, Cassius, and Lux. Lux is from book two. He's an incubus and Ozzy's a vampire. So essentially in book one, they're all of a sudden they start seeing that someone is trying to hack into their accounts and they make their money on the black market, basically hunting and um, trading magical artifacts. So Cassius makes an appearance in book one and then book two, he's, he's sort of like their go-to tech guy. Um, so he does uh, feature in book two a little bit. And then book three, after I run, uh, is his story. And he finally catches the hacker and uh, it's not who he thought. He was expecting some dude that he could like tie to a chair in a room and, you know, beat the info out of. And he realizes it's um, a very attractive woman named Harley. And um, Cassius is not in the business of uh, holding women hostage. So they have an interesting uh, first introduction. And um, the story kind of goes from there. And he, he just wants to know who she's working for and, you know, what information of theirs that she's stolen and how she's compromised them. And then over the process of this, um, she, you know, they, they start to fall for each other. So um, it's a really fun story uh, about wolves. And um, he's got two hilarious um, pack members slash security guards who are twins, Lars and Marek. And um, they're very snappy and campy and form a little bit of a relationship with Harley in like a friendship way. So um, it was really fun writing them. Uh, I love snappy dialogue and, and 
campiness. So um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a fun book. And then of course, Cade, Cade's the villain in all uh, in all the books and he features in book four. So uh, we find a lot more about um, out about Cade in book three. Wow. And do you have, so also do you, does the, um, do you ever, do you have it maybe not, you know, not in the books, but do you have it kind of written out as well of just the origins of the supernatural creatures on their origins or is it, is it similar to your other urban fantasy or is this um, completely different? Like is right. You... Yeah, it's, it's different. So the demons and supernaturals of this world come from Lilith in, oh, okay. in, in literal hell. Yeah. And um, okay. I've explored it um, quite a bit. And it, it, with every book, you learn like a little bit more about kind of like what she did to them and uh, how she set them loose onto our world and our planet. Um, so yeah, that's, there's no Greek mythology in this one. Um, okay. in this one. Yeah. All right. I was curious about that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and and so, and then, you know, as you said earlier, then there's going to be a fifth one called, you know, After I Obey. And is that mm -hmm. it for the series? Or are you going to have six, seven, eight, nine, ten? I think it's going to be ongoing. Really? Um, yeah. Okay. As much as I have, um, if I, if I get ideas, then I'll keep it going. And I get new ideas like every day. So it's, um, <laughs> it's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so after I obey, so basically in book four, I'm actually going to tie up that one underlying arc. Story arc. Yeah, okay. it'll, it'll come to a head. And then book five is going to be uh, a, a new, a new story still set in the same world. And the characters will still be connected, but I'll be introducing like a ton new of new people. So, yeah. So as an author, I'm just kind of curious about this. So who's in charge as you're writing? Is it the characters or, you, or are you in charge? Are you, <laughs> do the, is it kind of a sandbox or is it an amusement park? Meaning you have to follow a, a certain path or is it like a sandbox where you sit down and you're like, well, let's see what's going to happen today. And you just like, <laughs> how does that work? Well, I'm a control freak, so okay. I'm in charge. <laughs> um, I know a lot of people say, like, I mean, you have those moments where you're like, oh, the character just spoke out of turn. And it's like, it's not really true. I mean, it's just your own brain, like, doing stuff. But um, yeah, I like, uh, I like outlining a lot. I did try to do what they call pantsing on one book and it just ended up being a disaster. Okay. I, it was like, no, this isn't going to work. So I'm very meticulous. I have a hundred notebooks all the time and I'll just sit down and write. I like to do it by hand right. um, when I'm plotting and I'll just write it down and scene by scene extended. And that can change when I'm writing, you know, it's not like um, set in stone, but it's, it provides a blueprint. So if I don't ever get writer's block because okay. I have this outline to essentially like, not to say that I don't ever, because I have gotten it before, but it's normally because I just can't figure out how I want the scene to, to mm. go essentially. But as far as the plot goes, I just, I do it all um, extensively outlined ahead of time and it just makes it easier and it helps me write faster and not get lost in like a bunch of different plot threads <laughs> that are going to go nowhere. And then you have to like rewrite 30 pages and yeah, <laughs> it's just easier. <laughs> So I guess my question too is, is there, has there been a point where like when you have your content editor, you're like, here, can you check this out? Um, and, and they would read it and like, 
I don't think either like, you know, Harley or Gray or, or, or they wouldn't have done this, Melissa. Why did you write? And you're like, well, I kind of, is there, has there been any <laughs> points where you kind of had a fight with your editors to say, well, I needed this to happen or like, how did, did any of that happen at all? No, actually, I, I've never had that happen to me. And I know okay. it does happen, you know, a lot. But I think I just I have such a good grasp on like who my characters are and right. and what they would do. You know, I have had, of course, I mean, when you have editors, they're like, hey, this isn't working or this plot doesn't feel right or this scene doesn't work. And I'm always very um, open minded. Like I don't yeah. I want the book to be the best that it can be. And I really, really um, take value in other people's opinions, especially like editors um, who know what they're doing and that's their job. So um, I'm, I love when people point things out and like, Hey, this isn't working or you could make this stronger. And I almost always take the advice and, mm -hmm. and shift the story and, and make the change. Um, I mean, there's been a couple things where I'm like, mostly in naming um, there was a name, uh, the way that I worded the name uh, that I wanted to keep. And I had a copy editor say, Oh, I don't think this is, grammatically correct but I, I said well it's a name of something so I want it to be this way you know but other than that I, I'm really open to you know uh, accepting all the advice <laughs> so uh, what would be your advice for 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 writers and authors to like if they're, they're looking at independent publishing and then you make some you know get some points of like this is the benefits of independent publishing this is the benefits of having a publisher um, yeah. And one of the benefits of having a publisher, and you said in a previous interview, is like if you're doing working with a publisher who says you have to pay up front, you, you shouldn't need to. You no, should be able no, to no, say no. they get a cut of your book, right? Yeah, that's um, there's a lot of predatory uh, vanity presses out there, and you know, for some, they they prey on on new writers because yeah, it's exciting to get that email that says, "Oh, we're so interested in your book." But when they're asking you for money up front, that is not legit. Um, and you can research that online. And there's um, a Writers Beware website, I believe. If you just type in Writers Beware, there's a, a site that um, exposes a lot of these companies. Uh, no, the, the way that you make money is through royalties. So when you do a, a small press or, or a big traditional publisher like Simon & Schuster, they will... Um, they'll take a cut of, of your book sales and you sign a contract and agree to it all beforehand, what the percentage is going to be, but you never pay someone to um, publish your book. The only time you're paying up front is when you're actually self publishing. Cause that's different. That's on you. You're, you're hiring people to publish your book, but even Amazon doesn't charge anything to upload your book to. They just take a cut when you, when you sell. So um, yeah, that's really, really important um, that people should, should really know like don't get too excited um because what they'll do is they'll take you know two three thousand dollars of your money and then you'll never hear from them again you know <laughs> right. so it's it's not the way to go <laughs> right. but i think that um small press and indie are both um beneficial you know it just depends on what you're willing to do you know i can't speak for anyone else but for me i'm so 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 grateful that i did small press first because mm -hmm. I wouldn't, I don't think I would have been able to self-publish if I hadn't had this experience first because I knew nothing about the industry and being with City L Press has taught me so much about genre and word count and, you know, how books are marketed 
and how they're written and how editors work and having those experiences, I was able to go, okay, three years later, I feel confident enough to do this on my own. Uh, I wouldn't have been able to do that without that experience. So, but other people are different. I know some people that have just been strictly indie from the get-go and they're making, you know, five, six figures a month. Um, it's, you know, everyone's journey is different, but my advice, uh, if anyone cares, <laughs> would be to try to do uh, a small press first and get established, build your platform, build your reader base, um, learn about the industry. And then when you have those tools, then take them and, you know, do your indie career as well. Hmm. So what would you say then as a, as an, ex as a, so, so two questions for you. So, um, and they're kind of interlinked in a way. So what would be your advice for somebody who, you know, says that, say, you know, go to an indie press first or small press, mm -hmm. where, where would you recommend them to look to, to find a list of those? Well, I think um, Publishers Marketplace um, okay. has a listing of reputable small presses. Um, you can go to, oh gosh, what is that? There's a hashtag. Oh, Manuscript Wishlist okay. um, is, and I think it's abbreviated on Twitter. And if you just go to their website, and that is like a list of agents and small press publishers who are listing like what they're looking for, you know, so that, you know, people will query them. And that's a really good way to do it. But also just, you know, really research. Uh, when I even before I signed with City L Press, I contacted a couple of their authors and just emailed them and said, Hey, like, you know, I received this offer, I just wanted to see like, what your experience has been like with them. Oh, yeah. um, you know, just to get kind of like a different perspective and, and an authentic perspective. So definitely do your research, um, check out those like buyer beware types, you know, what writers beware websites and put in the name of the place you're looking at and see if it comes up with any complaints. Um, and a lot of, um, a lot of agents and publishers are also registered with RWA, which is the Romance Writers Association. Um, and there's different, like, I think there's a fantasy one as well. So yeah, just checking out their affiliates and, you know, even looking at their, their Twitter pages and, and look at their website. I mean, you can see if someone's website looks like it was just like thrown together, you know, and <laughs> held with, together with duct tape. Like you definitely can tell. <laughs> so I would say, yeah, definitely do your research before you um, sign your rights away to your books because okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause uh, in your way you're sharing an IP with them. So it's like, you mm -hmm. want to make sure it's, yeah. You, and, yeah. And how long do those contracts usually last? At what point does that lapse back to the author? Is that I think, on I mean, contract? I can't speak for everyone, but most of the contracts I've seen and heard of um, are usually like four to five years. Mm -hmm. um, I think it depends on if they're small press or big traditional press. I'm, I'm not sure about that, but, um, but yeah, you just have to be, careful about what you sign and read the fine print and you know even have a lawyer look at it if if you're if you're not 100% sure definitely have a lawyer check it out and um you know make sure that it is in your best interest because essentially you're it's your creation so you don't want anyone taking advantage of you right yeah. and i mean and you said in a previous interview that one of the benefits of going to a publishing uh, house as well is that you don't have to find an editor. You don't have to worry about right. that stuff. So, yeah. what would be your advice now that you've 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 uh, you've you've swam in both ponds there? I guess I, I, I'm, I'm bad at analogies. <laughs> yes. uh, but what do you what would you say is the um, the uh, 
so if advice to give uh, uh, to give a self-publisher to where would you find a good editor? Where do you know where they could find a good copy editor or a content editor? Yeah, there is um, there's a website that I use, um, which a lot of writers are familiar with, um, called Readsy, R-E-E-D-S-Y. And um, Readsy really has a, a marketplace. So you can find an editor, a copyright editor, um, you can find book cover artists on there. I've found a few of my people organically, mm. um, just from like being in the industry and getting to know people. My editor for the first two books of Immortal Billionaires uh, was someone who, you know, I became friends with on Twitter. She's um, an author herself. And uh, she actually went to school, you know, for for English as an English major. And she actually, um, funny enough, she helped me write the first chapter. Well, she edited the first chapter of Blood and Magic way back, <laughs> way back in the day. No, not that far back. But um, I met her, you know, on Twitter and I said, I really need help. I'm getting all these rejections and I really want to get this book published. Would you look at my first chapter? You know, at the time I couldn't really afford to to get the whole book edited. So she said, yeah, of course. And she helped me with the first chapter. And um, literally after that, I um, got the deal with City L Press. Wow. So yeah, having a good editor is really important. So after that, um, we just, you know, stayed in contact and we became really good friends. So I had her edit the first two books of the series. And then due to her own books, you know, she had a, a timing conflict for book three. So I went on to Readsy and um, found a great editor on there and um, have an, another great editor for book four. So that's really the best place, I think. And then just asking other authors, you know, joining groups on Facebook and Twitter uh, where you can talk to other writers, other authors. Uh, 20 bucks to 50k on Facebook um, is a fantastic indie group. It's one of the largest indie groups in the world. I think they have over, I don't know, 80,000 members. And that's run by Craig Martell. And uh, it's invaluable, the information I've learned from that. Uh, essentially, when I decided to go indie self-publishing, I went onto that group and was like, oh, yeah. I need to search this group and find out you know, everything that I can. So that's my <laughs> advice for anyone who's thinking of going indie. Definitely check out that group. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so let's, let's, um, so I just wanted to get back just to let people know if they're interested in, in learning more about your books or reading your books, they should be able to go to uh, melissasercia.com mm -hmm. and be able to and you have links to all your books on here, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. there's like a books tab that you can click on and it'll bring up every single title. And they're mm -hmm. able to, for those that want to just, you know, PDFs versions of it or, mm -hmm. or physical copies and things like that. Yeah, it's available. Um, so my Immortal Billionaire series is available on Kindle Unlimited. So if you subscribe to that, you can, you know, read it for free. Um, and then I have paperbacks for everything. And then my um, Blood and Magic, Blood and Darkness series is uh, not on Kindle Unlimited, but you can get the ebook on, you know, pretty much everywhere on Kobo, Barnes and Noble, Amazon. And I think Smoke and Ritual and Spark and Ember are still in Kindle Unlimited for now. So I will say if you're going to read them, um, if you have Kindle Unlimited, read them now because there's something that's happening that I can't announce yet, but they're, I don't think they're going to be on Kindle Unlimited for very long. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, this has been great, Melissa. I had a great time chatting with you, and I'm excited to. I'm I'm really excited to just see all these more, all more of these books. Just seems to be coming out uh, almost every other month or so. So <laughs> I, know. I know I have no life now. <laughs> <laughs> You're creating life. I mean, That's look right. at all these worlds. That's You're right. creating worlds upon worlds. That's right. Uh, so. <laughs> So yeah, come back anytime because I'm sure you'll have something new coming out. So <laughs> I had a great time ch chatting with you, Melissa. This has been fantastic. Ooh, yeah. No, this has been so much fun. You're awesome. And uh, I would love to come back. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Right. I think you, I heard you in a previous interview. You said in a previous interview, you said you, you kind of like take one day a week and that would, that's like your solid writing day. Is that what I said? Or the, did I hear correctly? It was like a Thursday. Yeah. No, it's the opposite. I take like one day a week to actually have a life. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I write. Well, when I'm in the throes of literally, you know, trying to finish the book, I don't take a day off. So I've worked, you know, 25, 26 days in a row without wow. stopping yeah and then when I finish the book it's like I go into a coma for four days <laughs> <laughs> what does your pets think they're like hey come on I need didn't you say yeah. you have like a cat or two don't you I like do yeah she might walk by at some point yeah I noticed in the last <laughs> video I did she was just like creeping behind me so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah yeah everyone loves me in this house right <laughs>